Now let's be selfish for just a minute. If you could choose anyone to give you a gift, who would it be? Anyone to give you a gift at all. Well, what are the sorts of things that you might look for in a wonderful gift giver who would give you, you know, the, the gift of your lifetime? Let me tell you about Kanye West. By the way, if you don't know who Kanye West is, that's okay. God bless you, uh, just so you know. Kanye West is a rapper. He had a long-term relationship with Kim Kardashian. If you don't know who Kim Kardashian was, God bless you. He, here's just a few of the gifts that he's given her over the years. A $2 million engagement ring. A million-dollar diamond choker. An actual wall of roses for Mother's Day. Seriously, there were hundreds, maybe thousands of roses. A four and a half million dollar engagement ring to upgrade her two million dollar engagement ring. One Christmas, hundreds of thousands of dollars in stocks, along with small gifts from each company that the stock was in. A neon green Mercedes SUV, I don't know about the color, that was valued at something like a quarter million dollars. A million dollar check, a 14 million dollar Miami condo, apparently that one didn't work out and they had to return it. Kenny G to serenade her on Valentine's Day. And because one wasn't enough, five Mercedes SUVs, each worth about $200,000 minimum all at once, not like at five different times. I don't know what you do with five different Mercedes SUVs all at once, but there you go. So what's the lesson? Well, if you want good gifts, find someone with nearly limitless resources, questionable reason, and make them fall in love with you. Sermon over. That's where you drop the mic. <laughs> now, actually, that's pretty terrific advice if you squint at it. You ever heard that phrase? Let me tell you why. See, Christmas is indeed a season, <coughs> excuse me, of giving gifts. And that gift giving is because on Christmas Day, God gave us the ultimate gift. During the season of Advent, we're unpacking what those gifts are. And last week, we learned how God gives us life that is full of light. The author of life, the one who made it all, the one who gave you life. And the one whom life radiates out of and who cannot be overcome by darkness or death. He comes to our world and he teaches us how to live and he gives us power. He gives us a brand new kind of life that we're just beginning to understand, that we're just starting to take these first faltering steps into. Let me tell you, that's even better than what Kanye gives. <laughs> this week, I want to share with you how God gives us the gift of family through Christmas. He gives us true family. Let's take a look at the text, first of all, right back to what we read. It says that Jesus was in the world. The Son of God who created it all was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. 
but his own did not receive him. How do we become family? How do we receive that gift of family? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to receive Jesus. We have to receive Jesus. Now, what does that mean? I know, you know, it's the whole family thing's a little bit nebulous still. We're, we're going to come to that in the next passage. But what does it mean to actually receive Jesus? It's, the key here is, is really in this passage, in verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. There is a, a play on words in the Greek there, uh, and it's, it's not as apparent in English, but basically it says, he came to his stuff. To the things that he made. Why, why was all of this his own? Well, he, he made it. He's the author of it. He has a copyright and a trademark over it. He's got the deed to you and to me and to this entire world. And that's what that first part means. He came to that which was his own. He had ownership of it because he made it. Now, on the one hand, that I don't know if we're totally comfortable with that. Are we? Is it comfortable thinking, I am owned by another person? Does that sound kind of like slavery to you? Or maybe a little bit. There's this sense in which we're not comfortable with someone else being responsible for us, being in charge of us. We have, to, we have to come to grips with that in a sense. That's what coming to Jesus is all about in the first place. It's, it's realizing, you know what? I'm not good at running my own life. I had a conversation with someone in the church this week. You know who you are. And we were talking about people don't actually go through recovery of whatever sort it is, whether it's recovery from sin or recovery from grief or recovery from drugs and alcohol. They don't really go through recovery until they get to a place where they say, I can't do this. I'm broken. I don't work. I keep making wrong choices. I keep going places that I don't want to be. The Apostle Paul in Romans 7 describes this. He says, I don't even understand what I do. What I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I don't want to do. I keep doing that. Why? Because we were made to be owned. We were made to be owned because we were made in the first place. Which of you, maybe if, if you've had children, when that baby was born, did you say, my job's done? It's really a good deal for the dads, right? It's like, yes, I have contributed in a very small way to bringing life into the world. No, of course we don't. Because babies are made in need of parents. They can't even feed themselves. They can barely wiggle when they're born. You know, it, when, when you're new parents, you're waiting for the day that your baby smiles at you, right? Oh, that's a good day. And, and they're all of these sort of false starts before it happens. And, and you know, really mean people will point them out to you, be like, oh, my baby smiled at me today. And they say, actually, they're developmentally not capable of that. It's probably gas. You're like, thanks a lot. 
right? Babies, they've got nothing. They can do nothing because they're babies. We are created beings. And God, when he created us, never said, that's it, my job is done. And what a good thing. Because we need our creator. But the temptation is to say, I don't want you. Stay away. You, know, you, you keep telling me to go to these places that I don't think I want to go. Sure, you say it'll be good for me in the long run, but in the short run, I'm pretty sure this will be more fun, more pleasurable, less painful, whatever it is. I want to be in charge. That's at the root of every sin. There is no sin other than the original sin, which is telling God, you cannot be God. I want to be God. And that's how I know that each and every one of us still struggles to say I'm comfortable with God owning me because none of us are done sinning yet. There is a glorious day coming when we will be done. But we're not there yet. And we're still at different points on that continuum saying, okay, God, you know, you own me like 90%. But the other 10's mine. And I think if we got the 90% thing, we're actually doing really well. So what does it mean then to receive Jesus? Well, he came to that which, which was his own, but his own did not receive him. His own said, no, it doesn't matter if you made us. We, we don't recognize your claim. We don't recognize that you are the one that we need. We don't recognize that we are creatures still in need of our good creator. There's a reason that one of the most common names for God is Father. You notice that even Jesus on earth calls him Father. If Jesus says it, I mean, we got to say it too. Because he's farther along. He's all the way and we're just, we're barely started. Even Jesus calls God Father. Father so that we will know that we haven't grown up and moved out yet. It's never going to happen, folks. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. We don't move out. We don't go, you know, and get a job and declare our independence and say, now, you know, I'm in charge of my own life, God. God says, no, your, your earthly mothers and fathers, they point to the deeper truth that I am your creator. I am your father forever. There's something comforting about that. I remember, you know, I'm 39 years old, and uh, I remember when uh, I got into college, uh, I was 18, went away to Southern California from the Seattle area. I was 1,000 miles away from my parents, and that was great. You know, I learned how to, to, to be an individual. I, I, I got independence. All those things were good sorts of things. But after a year or two of doing that, I started recognizing all that my parents had given me. And I remember there was a moment when I picked up the phone and I called them and I said, this is totally inadequate, but thank you for being my parents. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for providing for me. There's a college tuition bill coming. Thank you for paying that. (laughs) Whatever it was, thank you. And, you know, now, more, you know, that was over half my life ago, right? Over half, yeah, I'm I'm 36. It was 20-some, 22 years ago, something, 21 years ago. I can totally do math. 21 years ago. 
And I still haven't, I still haven't grown up. I still call my parents. I still ask for advice. Sometimes I still ask for help. Uh, I still call, I, not only that, I don't just have my parents, I now have Kayla's parents too. It's like, hey, we need someone to watch the kids, you know, would you come over? Still need my parents. And there's a part of me that recognizes most likely one day there will be a time when my parents are no longer in this world than I am. And that's going to be a hard day. A lot of you are already there. Your parents have already, uh, have already passed. They've gone before you. And now it's all on you, isn't it? And I bet there are days when you wish mom and dad were still around. Because we never outgrow our Heavenly Father. It's meant to point to that. So if we receive Jesus, we're just saying yes. Say, that's right. You are my creator. You are my owner. And that's not a bad thing. That's the best of things. Because I need that in my life every day. You make me go right where I would go wrong. That's faith. Yes to Jesus. That's faith. So that's the first thing we need to know. When we give our yes to Jesus in that way, we say, yeah, you are the creator. You are my master in every way. That is to receive Jesus. And then what happens? To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become God's children. Isn't that amazing? Do you remember a few weeks ago, we were in 1 Corinthians, and we were talking about giving up our rights? You're saying, hey, you know, uh, there are a lot of things that are permissible. They're okay. They're not sinful. But we still say, I'm not going to do that, or I'm not going to give that up, or I'm not going to do these other things, because it will be better for the people around me, for the church around me, for the people who don't know Jesus, if I give up my rights. But do you notice... That God also gives us certain rights that he expects us to exercise. And one of them is the right to become a child of God. What, how powerful is that language for us? Are you ever sitting before God praying like, oh God, you know, I, how could you love me? How could you care for me? You know, I, I'm just so steeped in sin. I am so broken. Look at that thing I just did. How can anyone love me? And God says, you don't understand. You said yes to Jesus. That gives you not the faint and failing hope that you'll be part of my family. It gives you the right to belong to my family. Would you stand up and exercise that right? There is a, a, a moment. I, I mentioned this several months ago. There's a moment in uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail where the, you know, the knights are out searching. You know, they're, they're, they don't have the quest yet. They're just riding around, and, and, and God appears to them, right? The, the picture animated God in, in heaven appears to them, and they, they get down on the ground, and God says, Stop groveling! Everyone always does that, and I'm sick of it. <laughs> Something along those lines. I don't know. I don't have the direct quote. Yet, on the one hand, like, we worship God, and that's a right attitude and a right posture for us. But I think there is a little bit of that that's true. Where God says, I gave you the right 
to be my son, to be my daughter. Can you just grab onto that? Can you exercise that right? Can you step up and take your place in the family? He is inviting us to do exactly that. Not to, like, I hope that it's okay if I come in through the door. Like, I, I'm, I was hoping for Thanksgiving that you might have me over. He's like, stop it! Just come! You are my son. You are my daughter. That is your right. Come in to the house. Drive the car. Right? Go into the sauna. It's a nice place. Go swimming in the pool. You don't have to ask for permission. You have the right to make total use of your faith. You have the right. And then here's, here's that part. We're part of the, the family, is what it says. He gave us the right to become children of God. And it's not just a family that we're waiting to join one day off in heaven somewhere or one day when Jesus comes back. It's a family that God says, I'm already putting my family together today. That's what the church is supposed to be about. That's what the church is supposed to be for. The church is supposed to be family. Now, I have to tell you, I, I just, this week, as a matter of fact, this morning, I finished like the last 20 minutes of a podcast from Christianity Today called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. If you're not familiar with uh, Mars Hill, Mars Hill, uh, well, there's lots of Mars Hills, but there was a church in Seattle called Mars Hill, and it grew over the course of 10 or 15 years, maybe 20-ish at the most, uh, to have 13,000 members in uh, something like 15 campuses scattered throughout the Seattle area, some of them in California, in all sorts of crazy places. It was this phenomenon, this cultural phenomenon that took place in Seattle. And then it all blew up. Just in, in the course of, uh, it, it, was, it happened over the course of years, but really it all kind of happened in a moment as well. And the reason that the podcasts exist is to say why. Why did that happen? Not only why did that happen in Mars Hill, Seattle, but, but why do we see that continue to happen in our churches? How do they fall apart like this? How do we get this so wrong? I, I don't know if I recommend the podcast to everybody, just so you know, uh, because there is a danger in it. Uh, sometimes we love to look at failure, don't we? And see just how bad it can get. And if that's what we're interested in, we are not going to get any benefit. Uh, glorying in failure is never a positive sort of thing. But I think if we go asking the question, what do we get wrong? How are we like that? And how can we prevent it in the future? That's a useful sort of thing to do. Now, here has been my experience listening to this podcast. Uh, I've listened to the podcast as a pastor thinking, I, I want to know what happened so that we don't ever do that here. I want to know what happened so if I'm doing anything that led to that, I will stop. And I think what I found as I went through that podcast you know, for myself was uh, I am in danger of doing those things. 
I'm in danger of leading in such a way that would damage or harm the church. Not that I think that it's actually happening, but I can see how easily it could. And I need to guard in those sorts of places. But the other thing that comes to me is also this sense of discouragement as well. Of, wow, look at how many people were so badly hurt by sometimes well-intentioned people who just didn't have the training, didn't have the skills, didn't have the gifts. Sometimes by people who were out and out to take advantage of others. I'm discouraged by it. And I look at my own life and I just, I see how weak I am. And I see that uh, sometimes, despite my best intentions, as a pastor and as a husband and as a father and as a friend and as you know, some guy driving on the freeway, sometimes, despite my best intentions, I have done damage to others as well. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because I think maybe this is a little too personal for what we're doing But how many of you have been hurt by your family before? How many of you have been hurt by a church before? How many of you have been responsible for hurting family, for hurting your church? I think all of us to some extent or other, to a greater or lesser degree, we've experienced that hurt and we've caused that hurt. I think that in a fallen world, part of being a family together means that hurt is going to come. And it's not okay when it happens. You're saying that we know it's going to happen doesn't mean, so, you know, just get over it when it does means, man, we really blew it. And it, and people were hurt. Some of them were even destroyed. Even in a Christmas sermon, I don't want to pretend that everything's just all right all the time. I don't want to pretend like, you know, remember on As a result of Christmas, one of the things that happened was Herod killing all the babies in Bethlehem, two and under. This is real life, folks. This is how it goes. So let me acknowledge that when we say that Jesus gives us family, that Sometimes we're going to be pretty cynical about that. Sometimes we're going to say, man, my church family doesn't volunteer enough. My church family doesn't care enough. My church family is, you know, too Republican. It's too Democrat. My church family, sometimes I just want to line them all up and slap them. That, of course, is not my experience. (laughs) Or is it? I don't. We can turn that around, can't we? Sometimes I just want to slap that pastor. (laughs) 
not going to promise you a perfect ride. I wish I could make that promise here in this church, in this place. But you know what? I just know us too well. I think the promise we can make, though, as family, is that if we mess it up, we'll do our best to make it right. We won't give up on each other. I think that's the promise that we can really make. I think that's the promise that God frees us up to make. Because here's what he's doing. You know, I have these situations. You've had it too, maybe, as, as a parent. You have kids, and they're fighting. And you say, why are you fighting? You're conveniently forgetting all the times you fought with your siblings. And you're saying to your children, stop fighting. That's your brother. That's your sister. What's wrong with you? We, we can't stop the fights from happening, but we can go back and we can remind ourselves and each other, hey, we are family. And family means that we find a way to love each other. Maybe that's the best earthly definition of family that we can give, of a functional earthly family. Family finds a way to love each other. And some of you are sitting out there and you said, my family that I grew up in, we never found that way. We never committed to that. And I'm carrying all the hurt and the pain that comes from it. And maybe you're saying the last church that I was a part of, or even the last two churches I was a part of, or whatever it is, you know, those churches, they didn't follow through on that promise. And let me tell you, you have my permission in this place to be sorry about that and to grieve that and to hurt over that and to seek healing with God and with God's people here. That's my promise to you, and I hope that it's a promise that each and every one of us can make to each other. Hey, Turn, you know, maybe you need to turn to your neighbor and say, whatever you have done, you are welcome here. Whatever uh, you will do, we will patch it up together. Whatever uh, opportunity that you missed, that God you know, is, is telling you, you, you need to serve in this way. You, you, you need to search in this way. We're willing to do that here. Whatever question that you have. I, I remember uh, there's a, a program for telling people about Jesus called Alpha. And the motto of Alpha is ask anything. And do you know how crazy that is in the church? I mean, it's crazy in a lot of places. But in the church, if people say, yeah, was Jesus really the son of God? You know, is that really a safe question? Does it feel safe? Are you guys all right with that? Let me tell you something. If Jesus really is the Son of God, and I believe that he is, he is not going to run us out because of that question. He's going to say, it's the truth. If you ask, you'll find. You seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open to you. You got a question? You can ask that question. And then the charge to all of us is that when those questions come up, don't get so scared or so angry or so frustrated that you say, oh, we don't talk about that here. But to say, hey, if we're family, 
That means that we're always going to be in relationship with each other. And that means that instead of telling everyone to hide who they really are, we might as well get it all out into the open. Because we're going to be together forever. And we can't keep up the charade forever. See, this is what God does for us. He gives us the promise, the gift, and the curse of making us family. I'm going to make you family with all that is wonderful and all that is hard about that. Now, let me tell you one last thing. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, ah, theoretically, that sounds good. But I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know if I can do that. It's okay. I hope that you'll still be here, that you'll still connect here, and that you'll just give for the moment what you're able to give in terms of relationship and love. Let's just start. Let's just start. We'll worry about finishing later. But we can start today. This is what Jesus gives to us at Christmas. See that picture of, of Joseph and Mary sitting around the manger? Uh, the amazing thing about Christmas, uh, I think for a lot of us, we... We're like, Christmas is the time for family. And that's great. That's, that's a good thing. Okay, I'm, I'm not, not criticizing that. But you notice what happened to Joseph and Mary's family on Christmas? There was Jesus. And then there were the smelly, stinky shepherds that nobody invited. But God did. He said, go to Bethlehem and see. And they did. There was uh, the, the wise men, the kings, who came a, a year or two later. I mean, maybe they thought people are done just like barging into our house. But no, they showed up. And they brought some pretty, they brought Kanye West gifts. <laughs> you never know, folks. And then when Joseph and Mary took Jesus to the temple on the eighth day for him to be circumcised, Simeon grabs the baby. It's like, look, the Messiah. And the parents are probably like, seriously, he's eight days old. Be careful. And then Anna comes up and they're like, who's this crazy old lady? Now, some of you out there, you are the crazy old lady, aren't you? You see the baby, you're like, oh, let me hold the baby. And the parents are like, who are you? But do you notice do you notice what happens to God's family at Christmas? Man, all sorts of people are invited in. Can we be that family on Christmas as well?